Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, as we encounter your, you speaking through your word, we thank you that you are always at work in your world and in your people. And we pray that these weeks in the book of Ruth would strengthen our faith, would ground us in your hope, and give us eyes to see you at work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up about 20 minutes south of here. And there was a church that I would often drive by quite close to my house. And it was one of those churches uh, that had the big sign out the front, and they'd often interchange the different words and come up with some creative messages. I'm not sure exactly if it actually brought people into the church, but it always amused me just driving past them. And I'd, I'd, you know, every time I'd drive, I'd go, ah. And so I remember one week, uh, they had a creative sign that said, give God what's right, not what's left. Okay, that's pretty good. Another time I saw a rather sneaky one. Want to meet God? Well, keep on texting. Then one week I drove past this church and their sign really left me thinking. It said, coincidence, when God chooses to remain anonymous. Coincidence, when God chooses to remain anonymous. I wonder what you think about that definition. I wonder if you like it or you're like, mm, not sure. Uh, in fact, how about for 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you and say, coincidence, when God remains anonymous, what do you think? Go. All right, let's bring that back. I think it'd be great to keep those conversations going if you'd like um, over morning tea after the service. Well, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what I think of it, but talking about coincidences, I tell you what, since I've moved here, I've experienced quite a few coincidences. Uh, well, for starters, um, some of you may know uh, Randall and Katie Bond. Uh, Randall was the, uh, the curate here a number of years ago. My wife, Emily, and I, we've been discovering that, well, we've happened to have sent our children to the same kinder as the Bonds, and then we chose the same childcare for the bon uh, as the Bonds did. <laughs> and the same primary school now, and get this, even the same swim school uh, we chose and we're going to the same one that the Bonds did. Gee, coincidences are weird, hey? I'm feeling like uh, I should probably like leave a, you know, a, a to-do list for anyone else who kind of comes along later. You know, this is, these, are, these are the places to go. I do remember another coincidence. It was um, one of my first uh, services here at Deep Creek. I think it was actually the one that I was preaching at the first time. Uh, and Megan, she started the service by reading out the wonderful words of Psalm 8. It's a beautiful psalm. And then as it turned out, well, Rachel Matthew uh, was on prayers that week, and, and she had uh, prepared and structured her prayers around the same psalm. What a coincidence. And in fact, I still remember what Rachel said as she came up before she started praying. She said, I'd like to call it a God incidence. A God incidence. Um, I love it. Thank you, Rachel, for putting me on to that. It's a wonderful word. The, they, see, it's these coincidences, these, these moments when God's hand was clearly at work behind the scenes. 
And in case you're wondering why, why all this talk about coincidences and God incidences, well, it's because I believe that our section of Ruth today, chapter 2, it is full of God incidences. And the narrator invites us in to notice how God is at work in his people. And my prayer for today is that, is that as we're reflecting on what happens in this chapter of Ruth, that each of us will be able to look into our own lives and see moments, maybe similar moments, where God has been at work behind the scenes for us too. And I know from some of my conversations with you, some of you are probably able to point to particular moments in the past where you're like, that was undeniably supernatural, that was definitely God at work right there. No doubt about it. Uh, but I suspect for some of us, and perhaps even many of us, God being at work in our lives, maybe it feels a bit more behind the scenes than that. Uh, and so I, I, that's why this, this chapter, this, Ruth as a whole, is such a valuable book for us. Because it shows that even if I can't see God at work, he is still at work in our lives. Hope is on the way. Well, in case you weren't here for uh, Ruth 1 last week... Our opening act, it set the scene. Uh, so we, we meet Naomi, uh, the widow, and Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. And they were living in the dark days of the judges. And there was a famine in the land. It was not a good time. And so Naomi and her family, they moved from their home in Bethlehem uh, across the Jordan to Moab. And they stayed there for 10 years. But in the space of those 10 years... Naomi, she tragically lost her husband and her two sons, and she lost her hope. But in this moment of ruin, Naomi, she heard that God has been providing food for, her, for his people back home in Bethlehem, and so she makes the journey to go back. And on the way, her daughter-in-law, Orpah, she returns back to her people in Moab. But Ruth... Her other daughter-in-law does not. She decides to make this costly, radical decision to stick by Naomi no matter what and commits herself to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And she goes back with Naomi. And as Naomi enters Bethlehem at the end of chapter 1, she reflects on her loss and she, she cries out, Don't call me Naomi. And Naomi is a word that means pleasant. She told them, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Uh, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And if you've ever been in a moment of significant hardship, that, that feeling of loss is just all-encompassing, isn't it? But if you were here last week, you'd probably also remember that even though Naomi might feel like she has nothing, she might feel like she is totally empty right now. She's not actually empty, is she? Her life isn't empty because she has Ruth by her side. And Ruth, this is a remarkable woman, she pledged herself to stick by Naomi and her welfare until death do them part. And chapter 1, it closes with the hope that somehow, in some way, and we're not sure how, somehow 
the empty Naomi will be filled up again. And the rest of the book of Ruth, it shows how this filling happens. And so as we enter act number two, chapter two, well, the same as last week, I would encourage you to have a copy of the passage open. Uh, We've got a couple of Bibles out. If you've got a red Bible, it's on page 410, uh, which can save you 10 minutes of flicking if you're not sure where it is. Because Ruth is pretty small, it's very easy to flick past it. Um, Or feel free to have it available to you on your phone as well. It's a remarkable privilege to be able to read God's word for ourselves uh, in our own language. We've called this second act in Ruth, gleaning and God incidences. See, in Ruth chapter 2, in Ruth act 2, amongst all the gleaning, we experience four God incidences four seemingly random coincidences in which God was clearly at work. And as we go through these four God incidences, I want to encourage you to reflect on your own life. Maybe reflect in similar ways that God may have been at work in your life. Because I do want to give us an opportunity to actually share with one another these moments of God incidences with one another. Okay, so God incidents number one. Well, that is the timing of Naomi and Ruth's return to Bethlehem. Uh, If you've got a Bible in front of you, have a look at um, chapter 1, verse 22, just the the verse immediately before chapter 2. And it said, So Naomi returned from Moab, Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now this verse, it really sets the scene for what happens in the rest of chapter 2. Ruth and Naomi's arrival in Bethlehem just happened to coincide with the time when the barley crops were ready to be picked and used. And what's more, I did a bit of, a, a bit of reading this week, and apparently out of all the various crops that were planted and harvested uh, at that time in that area, barley was the first crop out of all of them to be harvested. And so what that then meant was the timing of their arrival coincided, and it meant that Naomi and Ruth, they would actually be entering into a period of, of uh, prosperity of the harvest. And so they were able to get uh, barley and then wheat and a few other things along the way. It meant they were able to lay up stores, and they arrived just at the start of that moment. What a God incidence. However, there was a problem Ruth and Naomi, they, they didn't actually have any crops to harvest. Like they didn't have any fields that they could make the most of this wonderful God incidence. And later, we, we, we do discover in chapter 4 that Naomi did own a patch of land. But uh, I've, I've seen what my garden can do in the space of, you know, 10 days, let alone 10 years of not tending to it. And so I suspect that there, even if they... Um, even if there was some salvageable stuff there, it's not going to be very good. And so, so what, what, what are they going to do? How will they get food? And so we're kind of, we're wondering about this as we enter, in chapter, enter into chapter 2. But then suddenly, the, chapter 2, it doesn't open with that answer, does it? it? It opens with a short promotional teaser. You know, I don't know if you've, uh, you know the kind, um, maybe it's Christmas Eve and maybe you've got carols by candlelight on in the background and you're thinking, okay, well, I should probably head off soon to go to, our, to the 10 o'clock Christmas Eve service 
Uh, and you, as you're just about to pick up the remote to go, all right, time to go off. Okay, that's enough of you, Anthony Kalia. Um, then suddenly it's like, but don't go anywhere. David Hobson's just around the corner. And you're like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Your, our expectation is heightened. And I guess you're kind of wondering, what's he going to sing? Probably Jerusalem, but you know what's going to happen? When's it? How long is it going to be? And it might even be like he might even be like an hour away. But of course, the fact that they've mentioned that little promotional teaser, it kind of just leaves you going, ah, okay, I'm waiting to see where this goes. And so, just before the narrative of Ruth continues, we get verse one. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. It's not part of the narrative. But now we've, we've heard this promotional teaser and, and now our expectation is heightened. Like, who is this Boaz guy? Like, he seems to be connected in somehow to the family of Naomi's husband. But is that going to be important? Well, we don't know. And is, is Boaz somehow going to feature in this quest of how do we find food? Well, we're not told, or at least not yet. Well, back to the story. How will they get food? Well, Ruth comes up with a plan in verse 2. As she says to Naomi, Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Ruth's plan is to glean, to kind of collect the leftover grain that was left behind as the harvesters went through. So you're going to pick up all the bits and pieces and hopefully that's all going to amount to something substantial that we can eat. And this was actually something that the, the Israelites were commanded to do. Uh, the Israelite farmers were supposed to do this. In, uh, in Leviticus 23 and, and in chapter 19 and in Deuteronomy 24, like God commands the same thing. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges or gather the gleanings, like the leftover bits of the harvest. Leave them for the poor and the widow and for the foreigner residing among you, I am the Lord your God. See, farmers in Israel, they were instructed by God to wear the cost of a reduced harvest income in order to provide something for the poor in their community. And since this, this law was to protect well, the, the poor, the widow, and the foreigner, well, Ruth kind of triple qualified for that. Like, she would, like ideally meet the box of that sort of person who would, who this gleaning stuff would be for. However, there was no guarantee that the farmers would actually be following this command at all. There, were, there was no guarantee that, that the land would be treated in this way, that there would be crops for her to gather. Like this was the time of the judges, after all. Everyone was living for themselves. And Ruth, a young non-Israelite woman, well, she, she really couldn't count on the, on, on the locals for their goodwill and for their safety. And so for Ruth's plan to work, she really needs to find a, a godly farm owner who is following these instructions from God to leave behind grain. But also, she needs to find a, a farm owner who is gracious towards outsiders like her. And there was no guarantee of that. And so as she's telling her plan to Naomi, she says, like, let me go and pick up, up, up this leftover grain 
behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. She's looking for a gracious farmer who will find it favourable to have her there. And Naomi says, go ahead, my daughter. And as Ruth heads out into the, ground, into the fields to glean, well, we come across God incidence number two. She gleans in Boaz's field. Verse three, she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Did you see that? As it turned out. Which is another way of saying, like, as luck would have it. And actually, um, the Hebrew literally says, as chance chanced it. Right? As chance chanced it. Out of all the fields that she could have chosen, as chance chanced it, she was gleaning in Boaz's field. Ah, that's, where we, that's where, we, where we find out about Boaz. But notice we haven't actually met him yet. It's just his field. And so, so, we, so clearly there was, there's grain there, so this perhaps is a godly man, but we just don't know how's, how is Boaz going to react to Ruth? You know, will he be gracious towards her? I mean, that was, hope, that was Ruth's hope back in verse 2. Well, we don't know yet. But we don't have to wait long to find out. Because verse 4, just then, Boaz, he arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. As chance would have it, just then Boaz visits his field. And these first words that come out of Boaz's lips, they really give us a glimpse into his character, don't they? In the time of the judges, here is a man who speaks of Yahweh, of their God, to his workers. We're going to be sharing our Holy Communion together in a moment. And I love that Boaz's greeting is actually the same as our communion liturgy's opening. The Lord be with you. It's, just one, it's wonderful. Just echoing these, these faithful characters from the Bible and these greetings. And as Boaz, as he arrives and he looks over his workers... He notices Ruth behind them all. And so she asks the overseer, hey, who's that over there? Uh, and, and he says, she's Ruth the Moabite who came back with Naomi. Well, how will Boaz react to Naomi, uh, react to Ruth? Well, in the verses that follow, we get God incidents number three. Ruth finds favor with Boaz. From verse 8, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, Ruth, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Ruth began the day with this hope that she would meet someone in whose eyes that she would find favour. And now in the person of Boaz, in whose field she just happened to stumble upon, 
she has found favour. And the picture that we get here of Boaz is not that he's just sort of tolerating Ruth being there. He goes out of his way to generously provide for her and to protect her. See, like, he's like, if you're thirsty, like, help yourself to our minibar. You know, verse 9, like, have some of our, you know, we've got a buffet lunch. Have as much as you want, verse 14. Have a look. And when you, when you go back to work after you've had enough to eat, I mean, I'm even going to get my workers to pull out some of, like, the actual harvesting stuff and, and give it to you so that you can have, like, the, the cream of the crop. And did you notice, on top of all this, in verse 9, Boaz also says, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. The Hebrew word here, uh, laying, on, laying on a hand, kind of means that, that Boaz is telling his men not to, not to strike or harass or take advantage of or mistreat Ruth. If you think about the backdrop of the horrific treatment of women in the time of the judges, like what a welcome contrast. One person I was reading said that here we have Boaz instituting the first workplace anti-sexual harassment policy in the Bible. And it's wonderful. Like violence against women, Boaz says no. With everything we've heard lately about toxic masculinity, like if you're ever looking for a model of what godly masculinity looks like, well, surely it has to be someone like Boaz. Like he is a, he is a godly person. He's devoted to God. He works hard. And yes, he is in a position of significance and influence and power, perhaps. But notice he uses his power for the good of others, not himself. Like he goes out of his way to protect the vulnerable, not to take advantage of them. He is abundantly gracious and generous to those in need. He is someone that people can run to and, and experience refuge and safety. In a word, Boaz reflects the character of Jesus. Jesus is all of these virtues and more. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. When we come to Jesus, he welcomes us with open arms. Like no matter what your life has looked like, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have had done to you, Jesus is always safe. He offers protection and refuge. Towards the end of the Gospels, there's this scene where Jesus, he's looking at the city of Jerusalem where like, God's people are dwelling and he weeps as he says, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This is Jesus' longing. Like it's a picture of Jesus as a protective mother bird, lovingly offering her wings for the refuge and protection of defenseless young. And here in Ruth 2, Boaz, he, he, he's reflecting on the amazing 
story of, of Ruth who, who said goodbye to everything at home in order to commit herself, to cling to Naomi and committing herself to Yahweh. And Boaz, he speaks words of blessing to Ruth and he uses the same beautiful picture that Jesus used. Boaz says to Ruth in verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, after a remarkable day of gleaning, Ruth, you know, with a bunch of help with her from Boaz and then the other harvesters, she, she comes home with this, this giant bag of grain. Um, they, they reckon it could be up to like 30 kilograms or something. Like, imagine that. Uh, like, like and, and understandably, like, Naomi, she notices Ruth coming and going, oh. and when Ruth arrives, she's like, where on earth did you glean today? Like, whoa, that's certainly not leftovers. And as Ruth, as she shares with Naomi that she was working in Boaz's field, suddenly for Naomi, in that moment, everything starts falling into place. As we see God incidents number four, Naomi and Ruth have met their Redeemer. Verse 20 the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. See, like, what a, what a, remarkable, what a remarkable time they've had in Bethlehem so far. Like, they've just returned home just as the first of the harvests were beginning. Ruth just happened to stumble upon Boaz's field. And when Boaz happened to visit and notice Ruth, he was gracious and welcomed her. And now this same Boaz just happens to be their family's redeemer. He's the person that can redeem their family and future. And more on that next week. Like, what, what are the chances of that? Like, what wonderful coincidences. Like, surely this can't have just been blind chance. No. As Naomi, she comes to terms with, with what has happened today, she recognises that Yahweh, her God, her Lord, has had his hand on everything. Have another look at verse 20. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Like, who is the he? In that verse, do you think? I mean, I suppose grammatically it could be Boaz that she's talking about. But Boaz has really only just started showing his kindness. The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness. See, it's Yahweh. It's God who never stopped showing his kindness. His, his hesed to them. If you remember from last week, Ruth's decision to stick with Naomi no matter what is viewed by this book as a whole as a, a wonderful example of the Hebrew term hesed, 
which is sort of this big all-encompassing word that if you kind of imagine one word, one word to unite all of like love and mercy and grace and kindness and goodness and benevolence and loyalty and covenant faithfulness, all into a word, hesed. And now even when Naomi was at her lowest, she now sees that, that her God has never stopped showing hesed to them both to the living, to her and Ruth, but also see, in, in their providential meeting of Boaz, their family redeemer, she now sees that God is showing his hesed, his kindness, even to the deceased family, even to Elimelech and Mahlon and Kilion, but more on that in the coming weeks. In these God incidences, Naomi can see that there have been sparks of blessing all along. God is not finished with her yet. So what do we make of these coincidences? Well, in God's world, coincidences are really never coincidences, are they? So much, I could put up a whole bunch of passages that talk about just so much of the, the ways that God is at work in his world. See, the world is not ruled by blind chance. Every moment is a God at work moment. Every coincidence is a God incidence. Uh, and to be clear, I, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting at all that we should start using the phrase, or oh, everything happens for a reason, because that's just, that's just really unhelpful. Uh, because often we have no idea what that reason is, and particularly if, if you tell that to someone when they're in a moment of suffering like it, that's, it's, just, it's just bad. Don't do that. Okay? But the big truth of the Bible is that God is always at work in his world, and he is always at work in his people. And he can use all situations, however good, however terrible, for his purposes. We think about what happened at the cross and yet that moment of ultimate darkness for God himself was able to bring forth new life, new forgiveness, new power for all who come to trust in him. And as we've seen here in Ruth, even in the dark times of our life, God is always at work. He is always at work even if in the moment we might not see how. What difference would it make in our lives if we really treated every moment as a God at work moment? Like every person that we just happened to bump into, every coincidence is a God incidence. My encouragement to each of us is let's, let's notice these moments and let's be praying that we, would, that we would actually see God's hand at work in our lives, as Naomi came to realise in the end. And actually, before I close, I actually do want to invite us to spend a minute or two chatting with the person next to you. Have you ever experienced a God incidence? Like it might be something really significant for your life, or it might be just something like totally mundane, but it was like, that was nice. Have you ever experienced a God incidence? For a couple of minutes, chat to the person next to you.
Well, it uh, seems that uh, Seb has been quite uh, optimistic in giving us a lot of time to talk about it. But uh, I, I would love to... Uh, I'd love to encourage you to keep on keep these conversations going because God is at work in our lives, in his world, and just I think it's just powerful that we can actually just encourage one another with these, even just little things. Uh, and so as we, uh, as we bring this to a close, as the, uh, as the band comes up as well, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth. We thank you for its picture into your care and concern for the downtrodden and the outcast. We praise you for the work that you did in Ruth and Naomi's lives and for your work in the person of Boaz. In everything, you are always at work in our lives. Thank you for the God incidences that we have shared with one another now and for those that you are going to be doing in the coming weeks. We thank you that you are a good good Father to us. And so we ask that even when we can't see what your hand is doing, help us to keep trusting your heart. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.